Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Real-Time Enterprise channel on Vantic TV, our video and podcast series of interviews with thought leaders and practitioners in digital transformation and the real-time enterprise. My name is Blaine Matthew, and I'm Chief Marketing and Product Officer at Vantic. Note that you can reach either myself or the guest by sending a note to realtime at vantic.com, and we will be more than happy to follow up. Joining me today is Daniel Obodovsky, founder and CEO at The Silent Intelligence. I'll let Daniel tell us more about The Silent Intelligence in a moment, very intriguing name. But before we do that, I'll also just mention that Daniel is an Internet of Things thought leader and a frequent keynote speaker. And we have had the pleasure of speaking at the same event a number of times in the last couple of years, which is how we first met. Prior to starting The Silent Intelligence, Daniel worked as Director of Business Development at Qualcomm, and after leaving Qualcomm in 2013, he authored The Silent Intelligence, The Internet of Things, one of the first books about the upcoming technology revolution that we're all in the midst of right now, which the following year became a top 10 book on technology and investing on Amazon. Thanks for the time, Daniel. We're going to have some fun. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Blaine. Thanks. Great. Well, I really appreciate your time, and it's, I'm glad we, great, uh, very glad we got this opportunity after uh, speaking off and on for the last couple of years. So why don't you start by telling us more about your firm, The Silent Intelligence, a very intriguing name. If I was naming a company now, I'd, I'd probably go for something uh, exciting and interesting like that. Thank you. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about The Silent Intelligence. I'll tell you a story how we can come up with a name. <laughs> okay. So, um, the Silent Intelligence uh, is a professional services firm focused on digital transformation of enterprise. And essentially what we mean by that is we help companies not just deploy technology, but also understand the problems that they're trying to solve using technology. We help them think about how to extract the value from the data they already have and from the data they're going to have by implementing technology. And extracting value can range from direct monetization through third parties to developing services that are going to help them optimize their costs or optimize and generate new revenue services. In addition, we work with technology companies to help them commercialize technology. And that's actually my background primarily is commercializing technology. Um, back in the time when I was at Qualcomm, uh, my job was to look at interesting technologies that were coming out out of either corporate R&D or an other part of the company and built an ecosystem uh, and build partnerships, find customers to actually commercialize those technologies. As you know, a lot of companies these days operate on technology looking for a problem. And, and uh, that's okay. You know, in a lot of cases, technology is being developed based on technology capabilities, not necessarily what problem we're trying to solve. But at some point of time, somebody needs to think really, really hard what other problems we want to solve with that and how does the technology align with that problem and the use cases. And that's where we're coming. Hmm, very interesting. How did you personally get into, into this space, into this combination of, of obviously solving, bringing technology to bear on solving business problems? What's your story? 
You know, it was, uh, to be honest, it was a, a long and painful, painful path uh, uh, in terms of, uh, because for a professional services firm, uh, figuring out uh, product market fit, um, it, it, it can be also a very painful process, right? Yep. But ultimately, um, ultimately, when you zoom in on your clients and you start understanding what your clients are paying you for, what they value the most, you start adjusting and you start changing your approach. So I started, I used to work at Qualcomm and before Qualcomm I worked at Motorola and uh, I would say I had a very heavy uh, hardware slash networks background, right? And maybe semiconductor background and uh, thinking of the world in terms of sensors and boxes and connected devices and connectivity and so on. And uh, when I started thinking about and working on the silent intelligence, the book, I think you can still see, the book came out five years ago, you can still, that, that, that thinking uh, of me being a semiconductor guy and kind of a hardware and connectivity guy was very heavily influenced that book, right? Okay. And since then the thinking has evolved dramatically because first you get us to, okay, understanding that, um, have you seen the, there was a TV show, uh, Holt and Catch Fire. Yeah, I loved it. An amazing uh, show. Recommend it to anybody on the on the podcast here. So like IoT, right? So it's like IoT is not the thing. It's the thing to get you to the thing, right? Mm -hmm. so that's that that was the realization. Is it and what what is the thing? Is it the data? Not really. So we, we had this period where we're like really, really, really heavy on the data, understanding the machine learning algorithms, understanding the AI, and, and realize, okay, well, data is actually not the thing. The thing is how do I solve a set of problems in my enterprise? Whether it's uh, improving my customers' metrics and KPIs by the way they run their business, whether it's uh, improving my own workflow and processes and reducing them from you know, uh, months to hours sometimes, or whether it's, uh, whether it's something else. Or whether it's fundamentally creating new business models, transforming the organization in some critical way, right? Very true, very yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, although we, we like to say there's a, there's a, a finite amount of, uh, a finite amount of business models and they're just being, being <laughs> and, and, and applied in a different way, but true. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, very good point. Most digital transformation or disruption initiatives aren't creating something totally new, but it's the Uber of something or it's, you know, something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. very, very true, very true. Yeah. Well, so that's that's actually probably a good segue into a little bit on your data monetization uh, work and background. I want to talk about smart cities for sure, but but uh, you know you talked about the value of data and being able to take advantage of the data that is flowing in and around your enterprise and your organization. Enterprise data monetization has a soft spot in my heart because I used to run products and marketing for a company in that space, and I'd love to know where you think organizations are at these days in terms of truly being able to derive all the value and fundamentally even monetize the data that they're increasingly gathering? Well, um, so today we're at a very, very early stages, right? And uh, I would say certain industries are further ahead and certain industries are behind. Like if we take retail, retail's actually been doing some form of data monetization for years, even sure. before, before IoT and so on, right? So at least mentally they're like they understand the value of data right they don't necessarily have the right systems in place 
They don't necessarily have the real time data in, in, in some instances, but at least like mentally, they, they understand the value of data, right? And plus uh, retail based on the, the margins, uh, uh, they're, they're pushed, they're squeezed so hard right now. There's, there's a lot of willingness and, and interest in figuring out how do you monetize data. Now, uh, the other area that's been going on data monetization pretty fast, I would say is transportation logistics. Hmm. Starting with fleets, I mean, I'll give you one example. Yeah. Right? So there, there's this new type of animal, which is called data brokers, right? And there's several companies that have been emerging and, and trying to be a data broker. Uh, without going into specific names and going how much money they raised, just in the ballpark. So that some kind of a generic data broker companies that, that you uh, have seen um, um, that are kind of approaching multiple verticals, they today raised less than $10 million each, right? And they're still trying to figure out uh, uh, how they're going to scale, how they're going to grow. If you go to transportation logistics and look at the data brokers in that particular area, they're more like $40, $50 million raised to date. So that's, you know. Give us an example of what kind of data they would be brokering. Take us down another level of specificity so we know what is the use case fundamentally they're solving. All right, so if you like, just start with fleets, right? So imagine, imagine you're talking about service delivery fleets or, or trucking, right? So basically you have three types of data that comes off of, of a vehicle. One is the vehicle related, right? So it's basically asset management related data. So it's engine related data, it's the tire pressure, it's basically the health of a vehicle as an asset. Mm -hmm. So that's the first type of data. It usually comes through either uh, uh, OBD2 or, or any, 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 any other type, like directly to the JBus or, or whatnot, right? So the second set of data is the driver related. And that's, by the way, that's not, not, not order of uh, priorities, right. but like driver related. So that's seen deployment of ELD devices, electronic logging devices, uh, which actually that primarily function was to, to monitor hours of service. Which, which do it with a different level of, of accuracy and actually not always as accurate as we would like them to do, but, but that's what they do, right? So that's, what, what, what information does it give us? It gives information of asset availability. Does that driver have enough hours left that they can be utilized or not, right? But there's also other driver-related data that we can collect, which is uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, the safety track mm -hmm. record of a driver, mm -hmm. right? Are there any issues that we need to be concerned about? Are there uh, uh, any, 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 any uh, things like how do we can take care of the driver that they can do their best work? Is there any uh, semi-autonomy uh, functions that we can actually ease their job, like make their job easier uh, so they don't have to pay attention to as many things happening at the same time and don't get distracted, right? So, so this is driver related stuff. And finally, the third group of, of data is cargo related data, right? Uh, what, what's inside the, the vehicle, right? And that's where we, we start like also looking at the position location. Uh, we're uh, looking at the temperature, if it's like temperature controlled yep. and we'll look at the, the, the certain set, which batch it is and, and you know, it is like where it's supposed to be, has it been loaded, unloaded? Uh, as the, the chain, chain of custody and so on and so on and so on, right? And um, different players have access to different parts of the data. So if you're a, a telematics company, right, 
So you, you, and you have an, either your own ALD device or you have a software platform utilizing third party ALD device. So you have a lot of that type of data, right? And, and, and uh, uh, you have the driver related data. Now, um, in some cases, you also have access to the engine data. In some cases you don't, right? Um, so, uh, so you have all, all those sets of data. And um, what it comes down to, right? What it comes down to is who, what, what, what problem we're trying to solve. The problem we're trying to solve is how do we manage capacity better, right? Yep. Lead capacity better, right? Um, how do we improve the safety, perform a track record of the fleet, right? Yep. Uh, we look at the thing is, is like, how can I forecast demand? Because, okay, I can manage capacity, but it's usually a retailer who has the insights into the demand and not, not the carrier, right? So the shipper has the uh, demand data, but the carrier does not. So that puts them into a fair situation in terms of price negotiation. How can they use some of the data that we just talked about? They can have a better visibility into demand forecasting, right? So those are just, there's a lot more. Those are just some examples. And you're saying though, there's, there's a category of companies, a broker in the middle, which is orchestrating the, literally the sale of these data streams back and forth between these players? Yeah, there's several companies in this space who have basically just been uh, buying data and selling data, right? And making, and making money on the market. And, and uh, they haven't necessarily figured it all out. They're basically saying, okay, there's some, there, there are people who have data who don't know what to do with, we're gonna buy their data. And there are people who need data. There are shippers who need the data. And uh, there are some carriers that need the data. And we're going to sell it to them, right? And we'll let the market kind of decide over time what, what the pricing yeah. should be, right? As long as we're making margin, right? So, so that, 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 yeah. that's the problem, right? Interesting. That, if you are somebody who's selling your data to the broker, um, you, you might ask yourself, <clears throat> am I getting a top dollar or not, right? I, am I really thinking about the value of my data? Or am I basically just putting it on the market and let the market decide what they want to pay for it, right? Yep. So depending what your strategy is and depending how many resources you want to allocate, you may decide that you much rather sell at your data at the premium because you understand what value it provides versus just putting it out there and letting somebody else decide how much they want to pay for it, right? So that, that's different than strategies, though, kind of strategies we advise our clients mm -hmm. on. Now, is this data real time yet, or are we still really talking about batch, you know, batch data, daily logs of what a vehicle did or what was shipped yesterday, not actual real time data? Where are we in terms of making this ecosystem real time? So, as you know, real time data comes at a cost, right? Uh, real time data comes at a cost. It can be a connectivity cost. Uh, it can be data volumes, uh, data storage, and so on and so on, right? So uh, that's why we're increasingly seeing more things handled at the edge, right? Yes. So it's not necessarily the real-time data you need. It all depends on the use case, right, that you're trying to solve. So if, if your edge gateway that you have in the vehicle can get rid of a lot of unnecessary data and just get to the, the, the insights that, that driving your KPIs and driving in metrics, it's good enough, Right. Because, uh, well, seller, seller connectivity is, is pretty low cost. In some cases, you have satellite, depending on where you're at, you might use satellite, satellite is more expensive. So you need to think about all those factors, right? When deciding do you really need real-time data or not. But to answer your question, uh, with there, in some cases, we can get access to the real data. The question is, do you really need it? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
All right. Well, Daniel, that, this is a very interesting discussion. And actually, you didn't even know we were going to have this discussion because my, my original talk with you was going to be about smart cities. But this notion of data monetization and the impact of real-time data is so relevant to what we've been talking about here. I thought that was worth, it was worth surprising you with that topic. So well, great you know, job. As you can tell, I'm, I'm super excited about that. It's just like what, what, one of my favorite topics, so think, thinking through that and actually working with our clients and helping them uh, uh, like think through that the same way. Excellent. All right. So having said that, I want to shift you gears now back to uh, discussions we've been having, especially over the last, last couple of weeks. We were actually recently at a Smart Cities uh, event uh, in the last couple of weeks. And I'm really interested in learning more. What are you up to in the, in the area of smart cities? And then let's talk a little bit more about what's really, what's really going on there. Yeah, so in addition to uh, the silent intelligence, uh, just about uh, uh, 18 months ago, we started a company in San Diego called Scale San Diego. And Scale stands for uh, Smart Cities Accelerator Labs and Environment. Um, and the goal of Scale or the mission of Scale is to bridge the gap between technology and urban challenges or urban problems, which range from uh, traffic, transportation, uh, parking, uh, water, energy, uh, but actually also things to like uh, helping underserved neighborhoods, uh, addressing problems like homelessness or digital transformation of the city overall, because you'd be surprised how many of these areas can be solved with well, let's put it this, not solved, but dramatically improved with data, with utilizing, analyzing data, applying machine learning algorithms to the data as the data volumes grow. I wouldn't be surprised, but I bet, I bet some would. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, being a data company, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, so what the thing is, um, what we quickly realized, it's the city have data coming at them with such a speed they just don't have the capacities or capabilities to handle all the data, right? I mean, just think about that. They have the open data portals. They have the existing data that's coming at them from whether it's digitization of permits or uh, blueprints or, or maps, or the, the data that the cities have, or financial budgets and you know and stuff like that, right? But then now you have uh, what we call the IoT data, right? And uh, so we have all the sensors and that's just growing exponentially. We're right now, it's been estimated about uh, uh, 20, 22, 23% CAGR of data growth a year, right? And we're like um, going for a low, over 30% CAGR, which basically the volumes of data are doubling every, every two years, right? right. right. And, and like, think about this, it's like you, you, you're trying to like pour water out of the boat, but the more water's coming, and if, you, if nobody's helping you, you're just going to sink. And that's unfortunately what's happening with the cities. We're like, hmm. cities need a lot of help on not only uh, processing data, but more importantly, uh, how do you apply this data to the urban challenges they have today, which are very analog, right? That they're, they don't have an obvious technology solution if you look at them. So that, that's, that's, the, that's the mission of scale. And so what are, they, what are they doing about that? So you just posed a big problem, a big problem statement. The cities are sinking. They need to apply this ever-growing mountain of data, increasingly real-time data, to solving fundamental urban challenges. Okay, so what is the answer to this conundrum, or what are, what are cities actually doing? Or what? Let me actually throw, throw a little bit more into that conundrum, right? Yes. Let's see, city deploys a system, right? Uh, maybe it's a sensor system. Maybe it's a 
a software system or something like that, right? And because everything's transparent and city finances are transparent, people like you and I ask, you guys just spent $20 million of our money. What are we getting for it? We, the citizens, who live in the community, who live in the neighborhoods. You guys could have spent that money in improving that school or like giving to the school or a school district or um, um, building a hospital. What are we getting for it, right? Yeah. And that's a tough situation to be in, right? And unless you have a well-defined answer, unless you understand, okay, here's how it's gonna improve your lives. Here is gonna improve the life of communities. Here is how it's gonna generate new jobs. Here is how it's gonna improve the traffic, which is ultimately is gonna save you time on uh, when you go downtown or when you go to certain areas, right? Here's is gonna reduce your time in looking for parking. Here's a, like, if you are owner of a retail stores down, downtown or somewhere, here's how it's gonna improve the traffic to your store. Right. So those are the answers that, that, that cities need to formulate and somebody needs to help them think about how is the, the data that I have today and the data that is coming my way can be utilized to solve those problems mm-hmm. and how I can build a story that can take back to the community and say, here is how we helping you guys ultimately, right? Yeah. So that's how, and, and, and we, we, we at Scale San Diego, what we're doing, we, first of all, we're driving the community together. Uh, the talent, like anybody who cares about urban, uh, urban innovation and also has a certain set of skills and talent that they can utilize, which is universities that we have here, UCSD, SDSU. Um, um, it's a lot of groups that we have in the city meetups that have people that are really eager to build something, but they don't necessarily understand what, what problem they need to solve, right? And they don't necessarily have the technology tools. Because the trick about smart cities, even though a lot of problems are similar, a lot of things are defined by the communities and a lot of priorities defined by the communities. And if you are from this community and you have the um, maybe data science, AI skills, solution engineering skills, uh, design thinking skills, uh, social entrepreneurship skills, you can apply those skills onto your local problems, utilizing the best technology that is available. And that's, that's how we're bringing all these parties together, hmm. right? So that, that when we call the smart cities, accelerated labs and environment, environment is bringing the community together, which uh, we do in form of events, workshops, hands-on workshops, uh, working on specific things, um, uh, uh, reverse pitch competitions, uh, innovation programs, hackathons, and so on. So how long do you think it will be before, say, in this particular initiative that San Diego starts to see, see real concrete uh, value? Because I think a, a lot of folks listening to what you're saying might say, wow, that sounds good, bringing the communities together, all, all good. But is, this a, or is it going to be 20 years before the, somebody in San Diego actually sees something concrete as a result of this uh, initiative? Yeah, I think that's an excellent point, Blaine. And uh, I think uh, things, that, things are happening a lot faster than they used to, right? Mm-hmm. Things are happening very, very fast. And, and the amount of things you can produce with a short period of time uh, with the with the newest tools and technology is is uh, is amazing, right? So uh, 
I, I would like to mention the program that we, we, we're starting in San Diego, which is uh, 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 we, we're partnering with US Ignite on the smart gigabit communities uh, and with the city of San Diego uh, on uh, bringing, bringing about uh, solutions to a set of problems. Okay. Right? And that's why we're partnering with uh, technology companies. We're bringing in technology companies, actually more of an ecosystem approach, uh, networks, uh, connectivity, um, uh, edge gateways, uh, sensors, but very importantly, data companies, uh, companies who can help analyze data, visualize data, uh, apply algorithms to the data. And uh, uh, we're helping them to understand what, what problems they're, 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 they need to be solved, what are the priorities, and how they can actually uh, implement those things. Not, not just build them and not just pilot them, but actually implement because right. they align with the city priorities they align with budget, not necessarily city budgets, but also uh, other partners' budgets and how these things can be implemented. Have you uh, aligned on any specific use cases yet or are you still in the ideation phase for how you might use this ecosystem of companies and universities and partners together? No, we actually have quite a few use cases. Um, um, some examples. I, yeah, let, let me, let me uh, give, you, give you some examples, right? Well, uh, so right now, uh, the interesting thing about cities is like almost anywhere you touch, right? There's an opportunity. <laughs> yes. And one thing is um, uh, digitization of underground, uh, underground data, right? Underground mapping data, right? So we, we talk about, uh, there's this thing in, in California called Dig Alert. I don't know if you heard. heard yeah, about oh yes, yep, right? yeah. So today, uh, if, you, uh, if you're doing a development, if you need to do digging, right? So you need to call dig alert and within a certain bit of time, you will have a, a guy or a gal with a can of spray paint and they're gonna paint on the ground on where you're not supposed to dig. And we're in uh, uh, 21st century, right? Yeah. Right? And uh, so as it turned out, uh, one, one of the teams we, uh, uh, we, we brought on, uh, a lot of this data, is available. They're not in one place, right? So the city has data on the <clears throat> on the underground piping of sewage, and the, uh, from the water district they have the data on the water water piping. Uh, uh, you also have the the uh, utility data about the uh, uh, the the other utilities and energy. Yeah. So you also have the telecoms and so on and so on. They're just all in different places. There's no one place where you can have it, right? And some of it, like I would call semi-digitized, and by semi-digitized, it's like it's in a PDF file, right? So, yeah. but, so basically uh, creating a map, an aggregate map, where within, within seconds you can have a pretty good idea whether there's something underground where you're at can uh, save uh, a lot of hassle, right? Yeah. Uh, so that, that's, that's something where, so the, yeah. the other thing is uh, adaptive transportation, right? Uh, how do you shorten the time of an emergency vehicle after they, they get an alert, right? Because today, like, think about it th th this way, right? So today they're operating on like uh, 80s, uh, 80s technology. That they, they beam a strobe light at the uh, traffic lights to make it change the light from like red to green. That's what the uh, emergency vehicle does today, right? Again, we're in the 21st century, right? Yeah. So there's a lot, like, how do you think a little bit further ahead? How can you clean up the street ahead of time and route an emergency vehicle throughout the city from point A to point B um, uh, uh, more proactively, right? And shorten the time it takes. Or, or an, uh, another example, right? When there's a major event in the city, like a marathon uh, or, or any other type of like significant event, 
how do you make sure how, how can you ensure they can still get from point a to point b without taking you three hours right yeah they're like all oh, so the, the, those are there's a lot more but the, those are just some examples of the use cases yeah no it makes perfect sense i guess one of my final questions on the smart city topic is who are fundamentally the drivers of smart city initiatives in your experience is it city CIOs, you know, and, or, or is it uh, the politicians, the folks on, on the political side, or who's, who's trying to, who's, who's really trying to drive this or make it happen? Who's instigating these initiatives, do you think? You know, um, I would say it's somebody who cares. And whatever the title of that person is, is secondary. Hmm. It's somebody within the city who deeply cares about their city and community and also thinks innovatively. This can be a CIO, it can be a chief data officer, can be head of performance and analytics department, or it can be chief operating officer, or it can be head of economic development, or head of sustainability department, uh, or maybe all of these people, right? But there's somebody who really, really, really cares and wants to drive it. And, and it's once interesting how you didn't list any politicians on that list, though. COO, well, CIO, you know, this, you, you, these are organizational, uh, you know, executives and functional areas, but not the mayor or the councilmen. What's, what's their role in this in your experience? I think their role is very critical, but I think uh, sometimes you need, they need to have, you need to help them connect the dots, right? And uh, what I mean by that is, again, going to the, like, where we started, right? How is it going to help? How are all those, like, innovation we're trying to bring to the city, how is it going to help the communities? Because ultimately, the mayor and the city council elected officials, and they serve the community. So they need to have a very, very clear understanding how the system that we're thinking about deploying or, the, like, redesigning whatnot, how is it going to help the community? It needs to be a very straightforward message for them to communicate. And uh, once, 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 once you, you understand that, right, and, and then you meet and talk with them, I think they're very responsive to that. Interesting. Makes a lot of sense. Well, this has been a great, a great conversation. Let's uh, wrap it up with a few questions that I ask many guests. So first of all, is there an area of conventional wisdom that, that uh, you just like to call bullshit on? You say, you know, every, most people are thinking X, but you actually think Y is the right way to go. What's, what's, what's that area for you? You know, uh, I tried to read less and like, I, I tried to cut a lot of noise, right? I used to be uh, trying to follow like every single article that's coming out. And, and I, over time, I realized it's, it's been counterproductive for me, right? So actually, uh, I read a lot of books and I read uh, both technology books and business books. And I also like talking to, uh, to the people, uh, like talking to our clients, like talking to our partners, look, look, talking to our mentors and, and, and so on. Um, and I find if I just cut down, cut down a lot of, uh, uh, you know, posting and reposting and reading a lot of articles and just reduce it to a minimum. Yeah, maybe I don't know that the latest thing that, that have, oh, by the way, I also read a lot of uh, financial, uh, financial reports. So I, I do read like when the, their earnings reports. So those are the things that, that, that I read, right? Like earning calls, earning reports. Sometimes you learn a lot more from those than from, from reading a lot of articles. So, so I, I just try to stay away from, 
reading a lot, lot okay. like I only have one newsletter that I read. Huh. So you're calling BS on the notion of embracing the digital flood, just trying to keep up with everything and, and read everything. You're saying no to that. That's not, that's not actually the, the path to it. Well, at least for me, it's, it, it has been yeah. totally counterproductive. I really like to take a step back and kind of like shut down the noise. Yeah. You actually start seeing a lot better. And anyways, yeah. this has been working out for, for, for me. I think it makes a lot of sense. But uh, except for Vantic TV, Vantic TV, definitely a valuable source of information and insight from experts like you. But other than that, I agree. Shut her, shut her down. I'm, I'm with you, Daniel. So uh, any uh, technology or business predictions for 2019 or maybe about the intersection of technology and business? Do you have a prediction for us? Well, so I'm actually um, fairly bullish on blockchain. I think in um, in uh, certain industries, um, so I think it's going to take longer time than people anticipate. I think it has a huge potential. I think there are certain problems that need to be ironed out in terms of protocols, in terms of uh, also data acquisition for blockchain. But in, in transportation logistics and global supply chain, uh, it has a huge potential. Hmm. Let, let, me, let me put it away. Yeah, the interesting thing about that prediction is about half our guests so far have used their call bullshit opportunity to talk about blockchain. So it's there's you know a lot of a lot of fud and a lot of bullshit out there as well about blockchain. Of course, of course, definitely about cryptocurrencies uh, for certain. But obviously, you're not talking about Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies. You're talking about the fundamental blockchain distributed secure ledger itself. Well, so there's, uh, uh, if you, exactly, if you look at the, into the technology and even with, with the Bitcoin, right? So that's interesting, right? The Bitcoin exists completely in digital reality, right? But when we start thinking about global supply chain and we, if we, you want to track, track the food supply, right? Or the origin of, of like mangoes, that's one of the favorite like use cases that people talk about, right? They're physical, they're not digital. So you have this gap into... How do you ensure that the data that we captured about this mango or the batch of mangoes is accurate? The moment it got on blockchain, okay, I know now I know it's accurate, right? Now, now, now I know there's there's data integrity. But like when somebody was scanning that barcode or reading the RFID tag, can you ensure that piece of the data that 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 the data integrity at that level, right? And there's so uh, so like I said, there there are certain things that that need to be figured out, ironed out, and there's people looking very closely into those, right? And the conversations that we're having, but the potential of blockchain in selling like traceability for even like the, just the food industry, just forget about everything, just the food industry, right? And there there the uh, the potential is really really significant. All right. Well, thank you for that. Uh, let's wrap it up with any key takeaways or tips you might have for business or city leaders that are trying to drive the digital transformation of their organization. Look at the problem you're trying to solve. Understand the problem you're trying to solve. Uh, understand the, the use cases of that problem and only then think about technology. Don't start with technology? Yes, I get it. And I think that's a very wise advice. Well, Daniel, that wraps it. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was a great conversation. Thanks, Blaine. I really enjoyed it. You bet. And those interested in hearing more of Daniel's thoughts should check out silentintelligence.com. You can also follow at silentintel on Twitter. 
And finally, check out scalesd.com to find out more about the San Diego Smart City Initiative that Daniel was talking about. Once again, thank you, Daniel. Thank you. And you can reach out to me anytime at realtimeadvantic.com. If you would like to subscribe to the podcast version of The Real-Time Enterprise, search for The Real-Time Enterprise on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you are already listening to the podcast version of The Real-Time Enterprise, please leave a rating or comment and let us know how you are enjoying the show.